It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Tyrus. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. I'm Dave Anthony. The day after going to court, former President Trump will go on TV at a Fox News town hall in Iowa ahead of the first contest next week. I think he believes that these challenges that he's facing in court are bringing people to his defense and to his side. So there's no doubt that these issues that he faces are going to come up in the town hall. Alisa Brady, grounded planes and calls for action after a terrifying emergency landing. I just think that the FAA needs to get off its butt as a regulator and make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Former President Trump is going prime time on TV tonight in Iowa, the day after going to court in Washington. A president has to have immunity. And the other thing is I did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. That was after a hearing where a Trump lawyer tried to persuade appeals judges he should have immunity from actions taken while president. James Pierce argued for the special counsel. The March trial on 2020 election-related federal charges should go forward. Never before has there been allegations that a sitting president has, with private individuals and using the levers of power, sought to fundamentally subvert the Democratic Republic, and the electoral system. Now, the former president calls this election interference by a president he is beating in the polls. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. Going into the Trump town hall on Fox News Channel tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, the former president is by far the Republican frontrunner five days before the Iowa caucuses. I think we're seeing the biggest lead that we've ever seen in Iowa caucus history. Martha McCallum will co-host tonight's town hall along with Fox's Brett Baer. We've seen a very concerted effort on the part of his campaign to be on the ground here in a way that they really weren't in the past two elections. Uh, I think there was a feeling that they took some of it for granted maybe in the past, but they have a very strong effort of caucus captains and recruiting, giving people lists of 25 people and encouraging them to get at least 10 of them to come out and caucus. That is going to be very tricky. The weather here is very challenging, which is no surprise for Iowans in January, but it's particularly snowy and blowy out here, and it's expected to be in the negative degrees on caucus day. So that's going to be huge. He's been coming out and saying to his supporters and people he wants to be his supporters, you know, you've got to act like you're we're one point down in Iowa and that we don't have this kind of lead because complacency is their big fear now. Whether yeah. or not they can get everybody to turn out. Which is actually a little bit of an unusual message because he's always talking about how big his leads are, the yeah, polls, and right, you know, right. he's number one and everybody else is way behind him. Right. When you sit down with him and Brett tonight, what do you want to press him on most? Well, I think the issues that we see across the board are the economy, crime, immigration, all of those things. And what we're hearing from the other candidates in these two previous town halls is that they challenge him on his record on those things, that the wall was not built, that uh, immigration was not curtailed to the extent that he uh, wanted it to be. So 
they are trying to press him on the actual results of the things that he pushed for as president. And what you hear from a lot of voters is, oh, I like the policies of President Trump, but not some of the chaos, as Nikki Haley put it, and has put it a lot on the campaign trail. But at this point, the policy issue seems to be driving him very high in these polls. So I think we've seen these other two candidates try to undercut that, and we're going to be pressing him on the things that they've said in these prior town halls and uh, see what he has to say about the actual record of a number of these things. Also, how much does he talk about specifically about the future and about how he would get these things done in a second term? So I I think you're going to hear a lot of policy-driven discussion uh, based on what he got done last time and specifically how he plans to get it done next time. He, of course, has made waves, as he always does, with some of the language he has used in recent weeks. For instance, when it comes to the immigration, when he talks about Mm -hmm. it as a disaster, like poisoning the blood of our country. Will you be talking about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that the language that he uses around these issues are are good things to press him on. Yeah, I mean, people have said he's Hitler. And then one of the recent events, he said he's never even read, you know, Mein Kampf or whatever it is. So um, I mean, you can feel that the president, the current president, Joe Biden, is leaning very hard into this Hitler narrative. So I think you know, there, there needs to be an opportunity for him to respond to that. Now, last Friday, while campaigning in Pennsylvania, President Biden called his potential 2024 rematch rival dangerous. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy, put himself in power. Our campaign is different. And Monday, in a speech in Charleston, South Carolina, at a church where nine black worshipers were murdered in 2015, the president railed against white supremacy. And said Trump and MAGA Republicans were trying to steal history, claiming the Capitol riot was a peaceful protest. His actions were among the worst derelictions of duty by any president in American history. So he says he's trying to protect democracy. It's interesting that in these past couple of speeches from the president, he has been very focused on this issue of democracy. These, I think the last couple of campaign speeches we've seen from President Biden are are probably the most passionate and focused we've seen from him. Now, you can, you know, you can definitely um, poke at the things that he's saying and do some fact checks on a lot of these in terms of how much he's actually brought the country together. I I think that's a, a very fair question for him. But he seems to really like this as a way to launch his campaign against Trump. So I think we want to hear from the former president how he's going to respond to that, because is this an argument that has legs with the American people? One of the things that's interesting when we look at the questions coming in, you see a lot of debate about democracy. You see a lot of discussion in recent days, of course, because of the anniversary around January 6th. We don't see a lot of questions coming in. We've had hundreds of them for these three candidates that are focused on those issues. So it's it's a little risky, I think, for the president and the former president, which is unprecedented in itself to have these two if they end up being the candidates against each other, uh, focused on things that maybe separate them from what the American people really care about. When people watch tonight, who's going to be asking questions? The voters themselves, you and Brett, both? All of the above. Uh, The questions and the narrative for the night are driven by the questions that have been submitted by the town hall participants who are there to press the former president, to ask him questions. And then Brett and I are moderators. And the definition of that to me is someone who facilitates the conversation, pulls it back on track when need be, and is 
you know, they're ready with facts and research that can press the candidate on things that need to be clarified based on the issues that were brought up by the town hall participants. Of course, the former president has a lot of legal issues. The day before this town hall, in a Washington, D.C. appeals courtroom, listening to an attempt to say he's immune and should have be prosecuted for election, you know, 2020 related federal charges. That is something I'm certain that you'll bring up or somebody is going to bring up tonight. There's a lot for him to address civil and criminal in the next several months. And he seems to enjoy doing that. He didn't need to participate in this D.C. court hearing uh, at the circuit level, and yet he wanted to be part of that. Obviously, every one of these challenges have helped him to increase his position in the polls, which is, I think, politically very interesting uh, and very unexpected in terms of what we've seen from prior politicians. But Donald Trump is unique. I think he believes that these challenges that he's facing in court are bringing people to his defense and to his side. So there's no doubt that these issues that he faces are going to come up in the town hall and be discussed and debated. And um, I expect that there will be, you know, probably a significant part of one of the blocks focused on that. Now, of course, former President Trump is number one in the new Fox News power rankings. Nikki Haley moves up to a distant second. Rightly or wrongly. Chaos follows him. And she told Martha and Brad at her Fox Town Hall in Iowa on Monday. I will defeat President Trump fair and square. I don't need anybody throwing him off the ballot to do it. Now, Haley says she hopes those Trump disqualification attempts fail in court. The former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. trails Ron DeSantis in some Iowa polls, but is second in New Hampshire. A CNN UNH poll this week has Haley just seven points behind the former president. So in a lot of people's minds in this country, uh, he has a quasi sort of incumbency. And that's a powerful thing to run against. I think when, you know, back when Haley and DeSantis and the others decided they were going to get into this, they did not anticipate that the impact of all of these legal challenges would give him so much more leverage in this position. So they are definitely contending for a strong second place. And I think it's important that voters have that alternative, given the sea of legal morass that uh, the former president is headed into. So it's going to get more interesting by the day, even given the huge gulf between poll position one and two at this point. Now, even if Nikki Haley finished in third in Iowa, she does have a lot of, you know, polling success so far in New Hampshire. Ron DeSantis doesn't really have that. He has said there will be a seismic, he even predicts a possible victory in Iowa. But what if that doesn't happen, Martha? A lot depends on support, right? Donor support, money for ads in these places. That, those are the soft spots that we always look to to see when the foundation is crumbling underneath a candidate. And we're going to be watching those very closely in the coming weeks. Um, and we'll see what happens with DeSantis and with Haley. And, you know, they, they're right to point out that we haven't seen anybody actually vote yet. And that's going to change it's also not unprecedented, though, for someone to drop out after Iowa. It does happen. Not at all. Yeah. yeah, it does happen. Um, and and DeSantis, I was very important for him. There's no doubt about it. So and Haley, New Hampshire is very important for her. Uh, and then she heads to her home state, where she's very far behind former President Trump at this point. So there's a lot, lot to unravel in this story. So that's what makes uh, it really exciting to cover. Since you've been in Iowa. 
Vivek Ramaswamy is still out there campaigning hard there. He was months ago in a much better position in these Fox Power rankings. He keeps falling down. He and Chris Christie in the five and, you know, in that four and five spot. Christie's not really paying attention to Iowa. New Hampshire's important for him. What about Vivek and where is he for Iowa? You know, I think that he's a a candidate who garnered a lot of attention from certain parts of the conservative world. I think younger people remain very interested in him. We'll see if he he would need to really pull out a number that is unanticipated. He's worked very hard in Iowa, and he's been to all 99 counties, and he's yesterday he was you know, touting his ability to get around in this huge snowstorm and continue his calendar. So he's giving it a a real college try, and we'll see. But I think a lot of people will be hearing and wanting to see what the former president has to say at this town hall tonight, because he probably has more to lose than gain. Would you agree? Well, I think that's why you're seeing him engage in the town hall format. He has said that he doesn't want to participate, hasn't participated in any of the debates, which, of course, uh, I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen and the other candidates would like to have seen. But he made it pretty clear that wasn't the venue he was going to he was going to do. But we're certainly appreciative of the fact that he's stepping into the news realm at Fox and sitting down with the two of us and the voters in the audience. And uh, we look forward to it. That'll be at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. Former president, the town hall on Fox News Channel from Iowa with Brett Baer and also Martha McCallum, executive editor. And you can watch her on The Story with Martha McCallum on TV and the Untold Story podcast with Martha McCallum, and of course, tonight. Martha, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Always good to talk to you. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Dana Perino. We can officially say that the first round of voting in the 2024 presidential election cycle is upon us. The candidates have campaigned, and now it's time for the voters to decide. This week, campaign consultant Kellyanne Conway joins me to prep us as we head into the Iowa caucuses and beyond. Don't miss this one. Available now wherever you download podcasts. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. What happened Friday night, shortly after an Alaska Airlines flight took off from Portland, Oregon, is something no one on that plane will ever forget. I knew there was a sense of a boom. Um, I don't know if I felt that or heard it. Vicki Kreps and her two young grandchildren were sitting several rows in front of where a piece of the jet, described as a door or door plug, blew off at 16,000 feet, her body thrown forward, then backward in her seat. The oxygen's masks fall and um, the pilot is on saying this is an emergency. We've experienced decompression. They made it back to Portland for an emergency landing. But that particular Alaska Airlines jet, a Boeing 737 MAX 9, had already been flagged for restricted use, avoiding long-haul flights over water after warning lights from the cabin pressure system on previous flights. White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre telling reporters yesterday. 
we are glad to have seen uh, that uh, uh, that we're relieved that all passengers uh, and crew are safe. Uh, the FAA's priority is always keeping Americans safe. That is most important. She also says President Biden believes it's safe to fly, echoing reassurance from the chair of the National Transportation Safety Board, Jennifer Hammondy. Our aviation system is incredibly safe. It is incredibly safe. The most dangerous part of your trip is going to and from the airport in your vehicle. NTSB investigators have the piece that blew out, found a few days later in a science teacher's yard in Oregon. And as their probe continues, so do inspections of MAX 9 jets, which were all grounded after the blowout. United Airlines, the only other airline operating that model in the U.S., announcing that loose parts had been found during its inspections. Worldwide, Boeing MAX 8 and 9 planes were grounded before for nearly two years after two deadly MAX 8 crashes that killed more than 300 people and led to changes in an automated flight control system and FAA certification policies. On Friday, no one was sitting in the seats right next to the piece that ripped off, leaving a gaping hole in the fuselage. I wouldn't say surprised uh, initially. Charlie Pereira is a former NTSB accident investigator, now senior aerospace engineer and president of Transportation Safety and Security Consulting. Surprised now, once we're starting to get information on what it was and how it came to be, you know, especially since, you know, the 737 MAX uh, MCAS issues that we've had with Lion Air and uh, Ethiopian Airlines, which I've been heavily involved in the last couple of years representing plaintiffs on that. You know, I'm just really surprised that once again, we appear to have a uh, very significant, what I would call a safety defect with the 737 MAX. And those previous issues were really software related, correct? Whereas this time it's um, it's the plane itself. It's It's these door plugs that are the focus after one door plug blew off this Alaska Airlines flight. What is a door plug? Why is it even a thing? What are they? How long have they been using them in the airline industry? In this particular configuration, you know, they um, there were some airlines that wanted more seats and thus required another emergency exit. And uh, their way of handling it was, you know, install the emergency exit on those. And then for people that didn't want to have the emergency exit, presumably because of the extra cost and maintenance cost uh, of having an emergency exit, they elected to put a plug in. And that this is where the, the problem starts. Pereira, again, a former NTSB investigator, not part of the current probe, calls into question the design of that piece, the way it's attached to the plane, including the type of bolts used. It's also not clear yet whether any bolts were missing at the time of the blowout. But he says an airplane mechanic would expect a safety wire feature on bolts to help prevent them from coming out of a hole. No matter which fasteners were used on this jet, I wondered if all the other MAX 9s would use the same design or if that becomes part of the NTSB investigation. Well, obviously, it is part of the NTSB investigation, but I think there's a fairly high, high confidence level that all of them are this way. They don't, you know, it would be yet another safety problem if we had some MAX airplanes that had safety wires and some didn't. That you know, that might sound better for those airplanes that had the wire, but overall it would indicate even more anomalous production and manufacturing and inspection problems at Boeing. 
if only some of them got the safety wires and some of them didn't. Well, I guess uh, part of what I'm getting at here is it up to the airline or is it up to Boeing when it's up to it's up to Bo- it's up to Boeing on the manufacturer. It should come like that. Like this airplane is only a couple months old and uh, hasn't been that I'm aware of subject to any heavy maintenance yet. So everything that's in the airplane should have been as installed by Boeing uh, and their subcontractors during uh, production, initial production. So, you know, I've talked to some of my other aviation investigate accident investigator and safety expert friends of mine uh, since this happened. And we're all relatively shocked that we're not seeing any safety wires in the photos and that we're hearing that uh, subsequent inspections of other airplanes are finding other loose bolts and backed out bolts. That's just unacceptable. You don't design and manufacture what we call a part 25 uh, transport category airplane <laughs> without uh, a blind bolt like that being uh, safety in some configuration such that it cannot physically back out. That's just unfathomable to me that that could happen. Now, the loose parts that you referenced have been found during inspections that have happened after these jets were grounded because of this blowout. Should they be doing more than grounding and inspecting planes? Um, you know, for instance, is a future you know ban on door plugs coming? I don't think there's going to be a future ban on on anything as a result of this. I just think that the FAA needs to get off its butt as a regulator and make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. If you make a mistake in aviation engineering, uh, you don't get to pull over to the side of the road and say, boy, that was a close one. You know, the airplane falls out of the sky and everybody dies. Uh, I'm just getting worried that this continuing string of uh, safety issues that we're seeing, you know, from an intentional deception and poor engineering on Boeing's part on the MCAS. And now we don't know the whole story yet, but on this plug design, fastening design, it, it's some form of gross negligence on the part of Boeing and its subcontractors and initially, and then the FAA for allowing it to get past them and into, and into production and into revenue part 121 operation. And it's by the grace of God that nobody was sitting in that row and that the airplane wasn't at 41,000 feet, you know, uh, going even faster than it was. And, minus 30 or minus 50 degrees outside air temperature. Because if that plug had popped open in that environment, it may have crystallized all the lungs of the passengers before they had a chance to get their oxygen masks on. And if the flight crew wasn't on the ball, it may have even crystallized their lungs and we'd have lost the whole airplane. Just a horrifying thought to be sure. Um, Yep, because safety wire, which is one of the most basic safety tenants of aviation for bolts like this has been around for almost the entire history of aviation and for them not to incorporate that in this plug fastening design is um, just sad and incredible just to be clear though the faa has to sign off on all aspects of design for an airplane maker yes ma'am you do what's called certification of the airplane and the manufacturer submits a certification package to the FAA, and the FAA review, is supposed to review the entire thing and approve it. Now, they have what's called designated engineering representatives, DERs, which is a form of delegation of those responsibilities to a member of the manufacturing team that has been certified to act 
as a representative of the FAA. There's been a lot of criticism of the DER program over the past couple of decades for failures like this, where the FAA blames it on a DER and points the finger and says it's not our problem. Well, the DER is the FAA. You have certified this individual to act as your representative and without adequate you know, research of that individual in advance and continuing oversight of him, you know, you've not done your job as the FA, regardless of whether you've delegated your authority or not. It may be a bit too soon for this next question, but you know, how likely is it that this issue could end up affecting more types of planes beyond the 737 MAX 9? I would like to think that other manufacturers would see this and go, whoa, <laughs> let's check our stuff. Hey, guys, you know, send it out an email to everybody. Let's make sure uh, we didn't do anything dumb like this in our fleet as well. The NTSB chair, Jennifer Homendy, has offered reassurance to passengers about the safety of air travel. What would you say to people who aren't so sure about that anymore, especially given the problems already laid bare in recent years, even with staffing, which includes the number of air traffic controllers? It's unquestioned that aviation is statistically safer than uh, other forms of transportation, especially highway. This is evidence that we still have a ways to go. And it's incredibly thankful that nobody was sitting in those seats and that it wasn't at a higher altitude and a higher speed um, in a colder environment when this happened. So uh, I think we should all count this one as a blessing and uh, learn from it and uh, continue to improve Boeing's processes. And the airlines need to learn from this also. You know, if you have multiple decompression warnings on an airplane, don't just uh, push it to the back burner and only fly it over the ground. Uh, How about maybe we take that airplane out of line operations until Boeing figures out what the actual problem is. Uh, That would have been a a safer approach and would have saved these people from getting the scare of their lives. Former NTSB investigator Charlie Pereira, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. For over 150 years, a mystery has whizzed around the science community. Why is urine from the human body yellow? A new study published in the journal Nature Microbiology has cracked the code. Researchers from the University of Maryland and the National Institute of Health say they identified bilirubin as the culprit. Urine is made up of water, electrolytes, and waste filtered by the kidneys. The study says the yellowing process occurs when red blood cells reach the end of their life cycle at six months and degrade into the bright orange pigment bilirubin. The pigment begins seeping into the gut where it can be excreted or partially reabsorbed. Microorganisms in the intestines degrade the bilirubin further. So why is this information important? Well, doctors say it's crucial in helping diagnose a range of illnesses and disorders in the body and could help people combat things like inflammatory bowel disease and jaundice and brings researchers one step closer to understanding the role of the gut microbiomes in human health. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. 
What's on your mind? Back in March, I posited the classic question from the film Office Space to the diversity, equity, and inclusion departments of our nation's companies. What would you say you do here? Almost a year later, and arguably for the first time in its decades-long history, the purveyors of privilege theory in the workplace, their backs to the wall, have no choice but to tackle this question head-on. A perfect storm has erupted after Claudine Gay, former president of Harvard, as well as champion and beneficiary of DEI, was found to have been guilty of a Giza-sized pyramid of plagiarism and forced to resign. This comes at a time when across the business landscape, more and more companies are ditching their identity-driven DEI departments, both to save money and because it isn't terribly clear what value they provide. It is before this backdrop that billionaire Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban in gleaming white armor took to social media to defend progressive diversity programs. In response to fellow billionaire Elon Musk posting quite reasonably on his platform X that DEI is, quote, discrimination on the basis of race, end quote, and therefore racist, Cuban tried to make a practical argument for the programs, quote, good businesses look where others don't to find the employees that will put your business in the best possible position to succeed. You may not agree, but I take it as a given that there are people of various races, ethnicities, orientation, etc., that are regularly excluded from hiring consideration. By extending our hiring search to include them, we can find people that are more qualified, end quote. One must grant that this is a positive and, if accurate, persuasive argument for DEI. So persuasive, in fact, that one wonders why programs providing such great value are being disbanded so quickly. But there is, alas, a fatal flaw here because, in fact, companies that have DEI departments do not hire substantially more non-white employees, as Cuban claims. Axios attempted this week to argue that businesses without DEI programs lack diversity. But when you look at the study the outlet cites from Revelio Labs, you see that firms with DEI hire non-white workers 40.1% of the time, while those without do so at a rate of 36.4%. That chasm isn't exactly a grand canyon of workplace discrimination. So it turns out that Cuban's enlightened self-interest is neither very enlightened nor particularly self-interested since businesses that don't pay millions for diversity seminars are still benefiting from diversity. Cuban is concerned that we will throw the baby of positive diversity out with the woke bathwater of DEI and not entirely without reason. The American workforce did not arrive at its current laudable levels of diversity completely organically. This was a choice our society made. From the mid to late 20th century, legislative and social pressure not only diversified hiring and advancement, but dispelled stereotypes about aptitude. All in all, it was a success. The problem with DEI as practiced in our boardrooms today is its Orwellian orthodoxy. It serves only itself. But doing away with the performative and confessional conventional DEI programs and seminars does not mean that a commitment to diversity should be ignored or abandoned. We should celebrate diversity, or more specifically, we should celebrate that the Americans who came before us were dedicated to an equality of opportunity that in its due course will always produce diversity. What everyone on all sides of this argument should agree on is that the ultimate goal is a society in which diversity occurs organically. Some people think we're already there. Some think we will never get there. And most think we're somewhere on the way. Beyond the slings and jibes, the social media zingers and ringing accusations of racism hurled by all sides, there is a way forward here, one that requires listening to each other respectfully and deciding exactly what kind of society and country we want to be. Hopefully, one that is always seeking, if not always attaining, a more perfect union. <laughs>
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.